Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we want to welcome you to another edition of Prophecy Today. I've got some good news, information that will excite you. I'm absolutely positive. I got an email yesterday from Bill Blount. Now, Bill Blount has the network of radio stations basically in New England. They are referred to as life-changing radio, and he has just been able to get permission from the FCC to put up a radio station in Boston, Massachusetts. He's been praying, and we've been praying with him for a long time about an affiliate there in Boston, another station. The call letters will be W-I-L-D. Yes, wild. And I'm wild about this excitement that we're just so excited for Bill Blount and all of his network personnel Thank you, Bill, for carrying us for these many years, and thank you for uh, sending me an email saying that we'll be on in the Boston area maybe in the next week or two. We'll keep you posted on that. Well, that is great news to begin our prophecy program today. Well, let's go to Ken Temmerman. He's the man who covers geopolitical activities for us. Ken, Iran's leader, the supreme leader, is bitterly accusing the UAE, United Arab Emirates, of betraying the Muslim world with the Israel deal. Now, you don't expect much else from Iran, but I don't see that's a betrayal. What are your thoughts about this statement by the supreme leader there in Iran? Well, as you say, this is uh, entirely predictable. The Iranian Islamic regime, or I call them the Islamic State of Iran, are uh, dead set against any form of negotiation with Israel. So they see the UAE signing a peace treaty, really what amounts to a peace treaty, normalizing both diplomatic and economic relations with the state of Israel as a betrayal of the Muslim world. What is going to be important is to see what Khamenei does to back this up. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, uh, his relationship with Hamas, another Palestinian group. But we'll see if the Iranians have the money to be able to uh, back up these predictably fiery words. And we will talk about how the Hamas and the Palestinians are involved in this. In fact, let's do that right now. There was a meeting in Beirut, Lebanon this week, actually between Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad leaders. They met together. I would imagine it's the same issue that Iran has been talking about. What do you know about that story? Yeah, it is the same issue. And you had the Hamas chief, Haniye, coming to Beirut from Turkey, where he had been meeting with Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the president, coming with reportedly $30 million in cash to distribute to other Palestinian leaders. Now, he went to Beirut to meet with the head of Islamic Jihad. Why? The head of Islamic Jihad cannot stay in Gaza. He is hunted by the Israelis, several of his predecessors. Islamic Jihad is the Palestinian group that has always been funded and supported by Tehran. Uh, Hamas sometimes is supported by Tehran, sometimes not. PIJ, or Palestinian Islamic Jihad, has always been supported by Iran for 25 years, 30 years. So uh, it's very significant that uh, he would meet, that the Iranian proxy would meet with the head of Hamas coming back from Turkey with his pockets full of cash, $30 million that he got from Erdogan, to plot 
against uh, the Jewish state for having signed this agreement with the United Arab Emirates. That's the negative on that UAE-Israel peace accord that is continually developing a very historic flight, the first of this last week, when uh, there was an aircraft, an El Al aircraft, that would fly direct flight from Israel over to the United Arab Emirates and flying over the airspace of Saudi Arabia, which was quite interesting. On that flight was Jared Kushner, son-in-law of President Donald Trump, and he said he was 100% possible and positive about, and logically thinking it through, about all 22 Arab states coming to a position where they would recognize Israel. Now, do you think that's reality, or is that just uh, is that just propaganda, a rhetoric that's uh, trying to make that happen? Well, let's just step back here. A couple of years ago, uh, Barack Obama was unable and unwilling, really, to make any peace agreement between Israel and its Arab neighbors. In fact, he wanted to empower Israel fiercest enemy, Iran, with the nuclear deal in 2015. And when Trump came in, everybody said, well, this man is a foreign policy neophyte, doesn't know uh, his elbow from a doorknob, uh, he couldn't tell where Turkey is, he doesn't know Bahrain, he's never heard of the United Arab Emirates, except for he actually has Trump Towers, uh, and on and on. People would say what a know-nothing he was, and yet in three and a half short years, Trump had such major accomplishments in the foreign policy uh, realm, uh, he has pushed back against communist China. He's started to get American companies to come back from communist China. He's held the line against Russia. He has opened up this historic peace deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, the first one actually since the agreement with Jordan in 1994. So when Jared Kushner says, I can foresee a time not too far away where we could actually have all 22 Arab states recognize Israel, I would start to listen to him and take him very seriously. This young man has an amazing record of accomplishment in this short period of time. The UAE, which has always been skittish, of sitting on the sidelines, dabbling their feet, you know, their toes into the waters. They are now allied, Mohammed bin Salman, Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, in normalizing relations with Israel. So I think you're going to see countries like Morocco, Tunisia, coming next, and Bahrain, perhaps. Once you see Saudi Arabia, all the rest of them will either flock to make deals with Israel, or they will flock to the Iranian camp, as I believe Qatar will. So you're going to see this great divide now emerging, a new divide for the first time in the Arab world, those states willing to make peace with Israel, and those states with Iran against Israel. Let's uh, take a different focus here for a moment. The threat, and this is a report coming out of the Middle East, that the threat is coming out of Turkey, which is similar to the threat which was coming out of Iran post-revolution, when the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei in 1979 came in and changed Iran to an Islamic Republic. What is this all about? Do Turkey is going to try to do the same thing as Iran? Is that what it's talking about, Ken? Well, when Khomeini took over Iran in 1979, he Islamized the entire country. Uh, and he did it virtually overnight. Set down revolutionaries across the Muslim world to spread the Islamic revolution. In fact, their initial constitution proclaiming them an Islamic Republic, said the duty of the revolution was to Islamize 
the entire world, not just the Muslim world, but the entire world. So now what we're seeing is that uh, Erdogan in Turkey is taking a similar approach. He has Islamized the entire country the past half dozen years, and today he is starting to spread that vision of Islam uh, around the world. We see, for example, uh, and I think this is tremendously important, his admiration for the caliph of the Ottoman Empire, Selim I. This is the caliph who, in the early 16th century, 1517 to be exact, is the one who spread the Ottoman Empire across the Middle East by defeating the Mamluks in Egypt, in Cairo, and gaining access to all of that territory in the Middle East and North Africa, including Mecca and Medina, and of course, Israel, and what today people are calling the Palestinian territories, and Jordan. Uh, and that was really the beginning of the caliphate. It is only once the Sultan Selim, admired by Erdogan, took over Mecca and Medina that he could call himself the caliph, the, the Islamic caliph, the head of an Islamic caliphate. That is Erdogan's goal today, that is his aspiration to become the new caliph. And, I believe, and you can see, the Saudis are very concerned about this, because, by the way, they happen to control Mecca and Medina today, right? Let's not forget that. And Erdogan has got his sights on Mecca and Medina as well as these other countries. So, yes, he is expansionist. He's trying to take over the entire Middle East. And he's telling us that through his admiration of, veneration of the first big caliph in the Ottoman Empire, selling first of the early 16th century. Ken, I think that is great background information for the desires that Tayyip Erdogan has in his love affair with the Ottoman Empire and why the rest of the world should be worried about it. Well, talk to me about Turkey giving a report that Russia is to hold live fire exercises in the Mediterranean. Now, that's the eastern Mediterranean where Turkey and Greece have been involved. Russia wanting to take over that uh, responsibility and control of that eastern part of the Mediterranean? Well, this is an interesting story, Jimmy, because so far it's been the Turks who have announced the Russian naval exercises in the Mediterranean and not the Russians themselves. So what it sounds like is that the Turks and the Russians are now in a de facto military alliance. And this is a very significant thing, as you know, and, and you will talk about later on in the program, to see Russia and Turkey cooperating militarily through these exercises is a hugely significant event. Greece and Turkey have been at a standoff for the past couple of weeks over the Turkish drilling for oil in the eastern Mediterranean. NATO is starting to get involved. They're trying to mediate. They're setting up these deconfliction channels to try to prevent a war between two NATO members, Greece and Turkey. But for Turkey to reach out to Russia, obviously not a NATO member, is a very significant thing, both in immediate contemporary geopolitical terms, but also in terms of Bible process. Ken Timmerman, the man who covers the geopolitical events of this world, helping us to understand how these events may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Ken, thank you so very much. Great topics that we had to talk about, and you gave us great information. You're on top of everything. Thank you, my dear buddy. We'll talk again next week. Be well. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Always a pleasure. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update for us. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy D. Young here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Great to have you along looking forward to giving you an opportunity to Hear what we are finding out from our broadcast partners. We're going to Dave Dolan in just a moment. Keep the dial set where it is. We have a lot of important broadcast partners information coming your way here on Prophecy Today. David, I've got to talk to you about what broke from the White House on Friday. It seems like Serbia has planned to move their embassy to Jerusalem and Kosovo has recognized Israel for the first time. That was the headline. What can you tell us about this? Well, Jimmy, uh, we all remember the war in that part of uh, Southeast Europe in the 1990s, how terrible it was. Of course, Kosovo and Serbia enemies. Kosovo, a majority Muslim state. Serbia, a mostly Christian country. Well, they were meeting uh, their leaders uh, at the White House with uh, President Trump's team, or representatives of the leaders, I should say, were meeting there. And Friday morning, the White House announced that a breakthrough had taken place, that Serbia would move its embassy to Jerusalem. Just a few countries have done that. Of course, President Trump himself did that in uh, May of 2018, and that Kosovo, majority Muslim country, would formally recognize Israel, establish diplomatic ties with Israel. Prime Minister Netanyahu immediately hailed the moves, 
He said Israel would be glad and would quickly establish diplomatic relations with Kosovo. Now, they already have them with Serbia, but he very much welcomed their move to Jerusalem of their embassy. Again, it's another small but important breakthrough. Uh, Israel increasing its ties around the world and the United States administration helping it to do so, of course, following the accord with the UAE. As a journalist in Jerusalem in the 90s, I could hear those bombers flying over from Europe over into Kosovo and into the area of Serbia as well, trying to bring that to some type of a climax and a peaceful resolution. Very interesting report, late-breaking information that you're hearing right here on Prophecy Today. Well, that did not outshadow, though, however, David, what happened at the first of this last week on August the 31st, a historic flight from Israel to the United Arab Emirates and a continuation of the peace process. That was exciting information as well, wasn't it? Well, it was, Jimmy, and of course, the president's uh, son-in-law, Jared Kirshner, was on the flight and other U.S. officials and Israeli officials. And uh, that was followed by new announcements of uh, business deals being made between uh, UAE companies and businesses and Israeli companies, especially in the high-tech field. So that uh, is taking off very, very fast. But, Jimmy, the news in Israel this week was actually dominated by the reported possibility that the UAE will buy F-35 jets from the United States until now. Only Israel has had those stealth aircraft, and the U.S., of course, has pledged to keep Israel's technological superiority intact. And so there's a lot of opposition to that F-35 potential sale. Prime Minister Netanyahu originally said that it wasn't part of the deal, but after Mike Pompeo visited Jerusalem, he stopped talking about it at all. And the press this week was reporting that it's because it is part of the deal and that... Um, it's one that the Israeli government isn't so happy about, and so they're uh, underplaying that, apparently. And I do believe that the prime minister basically on Friday denied that he knew about that prior to the deal that did take place between Israel and the UAE. However, the prime minister also saying many more secret talks going on with Arab nations uh, after the Israeli-UAE deal, and we just talked about Serbia and Kosovo just a moment ago. Erdogan, however, Tayyip Erdogan, who was the president of Turkey, he's snubbing the UAE and actually backing Palestinian resistance to this deal. What do you know about that? Well, he's continuing his anti-Israel moves, and as we talked about last week, his apparent attempts to be the new caliph in the region and to have uh, far more control in Jerusalem than he's had since the Ottoman Empire was kicked out of there uh, at the end of World War One. So it's just Erdogan reasserting the fundamentalist Islamic view of Israel. Uh, obviously Kosovo does not share that or the government of Kosovo since they're uh, recognizing Israel. Obviously the leaders of the UAE do not feel that way. And as we've talked about, it's a coalition of Turkey and Iran and Hamas and Hezbollah and other radical groups against the more moderate Arabs, Egypt, Jordan, and now the UAE, 
and that's how it's developed. But uh, Turkey's role very, very bad, and uh, just just causing problems, really, Jimmy, in the region. Yes, and uh, allowing some of the leaders of Hamas to meet with him there in Istanbul as well, and then offering them citizenship in Turkey so they could continue their armed struggle against the Jewish state of Israel. Meanwhile, the UAE saying, hey, we're not traitors, folks, but the Palestinian leaders are corrupt, and they need to get themselves corrected. I mean, that is really, really true, isn't it? It's true, and it's extremely rare to hear any other Arabs criticize the Palestinians because, of course, that's been the cause celeb of the Arab world for well more than half a century, opposition to Israel and the desire to see it disappear, enemies of Israel per se. But, Jimmy, you know, there is on the streets of these uh, countries just a weariness over this uh, continuing conflict and the internal problems that the Arab countries have and the the war in Syria and the war in Iraq and the internal strife in Egypt, and we could go on and on. People are just, especially younger people, they're just not, for the most part, seeing the point of continuing in this struggle-strife mode forever. And certainly, if you're a young businessman in the UAE and you're doing well and you have ties to the United States and other countries around the world, now Israel can be added to that. You're focused on that, not some jihad desire to see the Jewish state destroyed. So there's a real divide in the Muslim world right now between the moderates and the radicals. But unfortunately, the radicals are becoming stronger because non-Arab Turkey is joining that camp fully. And as you say, supporting Hamas, they've offered them to move their offices from Damascus to uh, Ankara and other things like that. So it's tipping the scales in the radical direction, and that's not what we want to see. Very interesting development on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem this last week. Uh, There was one of the stones that they use for pavement as you go up onto the Temple Mount that fell through and opened up a gap or a hole there in the Temple Mount uh, platform, And there was an immediate response from archaeologists in Israel that wanted to go through that hole and develop what archaeological remains or treasures actually may be down there. Uh, But by the end of the week, the WAQF, W-A-Q-F, the WAQF, who is the Islamic Trust with custodial control of the Temple Mount, filled it up with cement. Some are even saying, I read somebody say, that may have well been a tunnel to the chamber where the Ark of the Covenant is. Can you tell us anything about what happened there? Jimmy, what happened there is what's happened many times before, where potentially important archaeological discoveries have been made, or at least the beginnings of making the discoveries have come, and the Muslims have come in and shut it down. Uh, The most famous was up on the Temple Mount when I was there. This was in the 1990s, I believe, when they were doing some work at the uh, Israeli police station in one corner of the mount there, and they were doing some digging, and they uncovered an ancient wall at a corner of, of two walls. And it was in the right position to possibly have been the outer wall of the second temple. Archaeologists immediately recognized that possibility, rushed up there, 
some in disguise, and within days the Palestinians started pouring concrete in and built a garden over it. It never uh, has the research continued since then. So this has happened before, Jimmy. They don't want further confirmations that Israel existed in the Holy Land in ancient times, that there was a Jewish temple there, in fact, several of them over the years, on and on and on. They call it the Judaization of Jerusalem, an attempt by the Jews to make it a Jewish history when it doesn't exist. It never had Jews there, etc. Well, those are all ridiculous statements, and uh, all archaeologists of any serious nature uh, toss them aside, and they should and would love to be able to go and examine these things when they're first uncovered. But again, the cover-up continues from the Palestinian side. David Dolan with his Middle East News Update, essential for each and every one of us who are students of Bible prophecy to hear each and every week. That's why we continually bring David back to this broadcast table. David, thank you so very much. Thank you for the breaking news and the information about the hole on the Temple Mount and the archaeological possibilities having been shut down by the Palestinians concreting in that hole. Appreciate your helping us to understand what's happening in the Middle East. We'll have another conversation next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless this week. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, John Rood has a European Union update, another key region in our world. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga. We are supposedly going to be able to head out and get involved in meetings once again. We'll keep you posted as to how that schedule will unfold. We're headed towards Milwaukee, Wisconsin, possibly, and then on up into South Dakota. So glad you could come back in the second half hour. John Rood standing by to give us his European Union update. But then Mike Gendron is going to talk about the desktop between President Trump and Vice President Joe Biden, both candidates to become President of the United States, and Trump making the statement that he's not sure Biden really has a faith and probably does not like God. Well, I'm not sure that's a correct statement, but Mike will give us some details. And then do you know what the Great Reset is all about? Ron Murrow, he's our economics guy. He will come and join me here at the broadcast table with that momentarily. So keep the dial set right where it is. 
I'm convinced you're going to be able to learn some very important information and better understand the urgency of the moment. Well, let's go to John, who covers the European Union for us. He's been a part of that world for over 35 years, living for a number of years in Brussels, Belgium, which is the headquarters for the European Union, which could become the revived Roman Empire. John, the man is president of France. He is a pretty main player as it relates to the European Union. And for the first time, he's made a visit to Iraq. And the headline reads that when Macron, president of France, arrived there, he reasserted Iraqi sovereignty. I'm not sure how he could do that. He's the president of France, not the president or prime minister of Iraq. Can you give us more details on this story? Right. Indeed, it's necessary to read a little bit between the lines there. President Macron reasserting Iraq's sovereignty is really expressing the need of their sovereignty initiative to continue and to be successful. It's probably an indirect reference to Turkey, because France and Turkey, of course, have had a very sensitive and conflicting time right now. And Iraq also, they have to balance their two main allies are Iran and the United States. So imagine how that type of thing can fit together. Very strategic, of course. It's OPEC's second largest uh, oil producer. That is so key to our understanding the future of this war-torn country of Iraq. And quite interesting that a member, a key member of the European Union would visit them at this time. Well, you mentioned the activities, supposedly a conflict there in the eastern Mediterranean between uh, Turkey and uh, whatever's going on in Greece. And I don't know exactly what this is all headed towards. In fact, Turkey's talking about Russia. We'll get to that in a moment. But Macron said, hey, I'm a pretty crafty guy, and I'm not going to fall into a trap of waging war with Turkey. Are they at a, a spot now in history when they could possibly go to war? Yes, we're seeing a situation that is leading into some degree of escalation. President Macron of France has responded, as you said, he's not going to fall into that particular trap. Turkey, of course, can really assert themselves looking for some type of escalation, and they're willing to negotiate right now. It appears that the Greek side is not as interested for the negotiation, but it's a very uh, complex seesaw, let's say, and President Macron is not willing to get into a war situation. But with these forces building up, again, as you referred to, uh, there's a real risk of military incidents or even accidents. Well, of course, we are going to stay on top of this story because of the significance of the players that we're talking about, France, Turkey. We'll get to Russia in just a second. But quite interestingly to me is the fact that the European Union has had a hesitancy about trying to consider even putting Turkey in the European Union. They are a co-equal member of NATO with the rest of the European Union member states. But uh, they were very hesitant early on, and they don't seem like they're willing now to allow Turkey to become a member state in the EU, are they? Many years ago, I was in the EU Berlin building, which is for the commission, 
an official there talked to me even back in those days concerning Turkey, and he was very concerned with the Turkish population and confided with me saying that Turkey would not join the European Union simply because of the population would result in such a uh, large representation in the parliament. But, of course, that's nothing for all of the decades that have gone through. Uh, Turkey, being a NATO member, is even coming against other NATO members very conflicting. So it is an escalation, as we mentioned earlier. Yes, it's an escalation, and the Islamic population and the radical Islamic population of Turkey is probably a key problem as it relates to the EU as well. Well, I mentioned Russia. It looks like Turkey's announcing that Russia is going to hold live fire exercises in the Mediterranean. And we're talking about the eastern part of the Mediterranean. We mentioned a moment ago Turkey and Greece are at odds over that particular piece of ocean. Why is Russia getting involved? They want to put down Turkey, or do they just want to have a, a major presence there in the Mediterranean? Well, Turkey actually made the announcement of the Russian military exercises, which would be live-fire naval exercises in the eastern Mediterranean. And this is the hot spot right now. Uh, Turkey is saying it's for the purposes of uh, oil and gas exploration. Now they're saying Russia is getting involved. I'm not sure what all the exercises would entail, but it is emphasized that they're live fire exercises, so that sounds serious enough to me. NATO is really looking for some type of de-escalation. The Secretary General came out and really wants to have some type of uh, technical talks about these conflicts now, uh, Turkey, France, Turkey, and Greece. But consider, consider that how rare it must be for a NATO member to have some type of de-conflict mechanism which could actually result in a military action or, you know, exchange of fire with another NATO member. There's something here that really seriously needs to be dealt with. John, I know that China is not a member of the European Union, but they are calling on Europe to unite against the extremist U.S. forces. Now, that is only telling us that China and the United States are at odds in certain parts of the world, and in fact, as it relates to who's going to be the leader of the known world, why is China calling on Europe? Do they believe that Europe will join sides with them instead of the United States? Uh, I believe certainly that's part of their motive, trying to get Europe on their side. The Chinese foreign minister had made a tour. The first country he went to was Italy. China had provided some of the medical assistance for COVID when Italy was in the crisis. And then again, they were most likely the source because there were a lot of Chinese workers that went there. But the Chinese foreign minister has come out with some concerning statements on this tour, uh, including that China-U.S. relations are in the gravest situation since diplomatic relations began, and accusing the United States that they are coercing countries to take sides. And we know there's issues concerning the U.S. influence, Hong Kong, uh, Huawei telecommunications, and so forth. But it looks to me that China is actually trying to coerce Europe to take sides. Europe has had this new policy, which uh, you know, the key phrase is strategic autonomy. 
And so this is the EU diplomatic way, let's say, to make their decisions free of United States influence. They want to show interest to China. And at the same time, the EU foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, he came out recently calling China a new empire. What a system of uh, checks and balances going on here. Europe, as usual, is trying to play all sides and usually comes out with a weak stance. All nations mentioned in my conversation with John Rood are major players in the end times scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. That's why we bring John to the broadcast table. John, thank you so much for this great report. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Very involved, very interesting and important. Very interesting report from John Rood, the European Union update. Well, I want to have a very important conversation with my next broadcast partner. Mike Gendron has an organization that is basically an evangelistic outreach to probably one of the largest fields for mission work in all the world, those people who are members of the Catholic Church. And, uh, Mike, you send out a newsletter, which I just got. I so appreciate that newsletter. Thank you very much. I want to talk about an article which you had in the newsletter. But before I do, could you give our listeners the address to get that newsletter and also mention your organization's name and how our listeners can make contact with them? Well, sure, Jimmy. Our newsletter is Proclaiming the Gospel, and you can find it on the Proclaiming the Gospel website, which is proclaimingthegospel.org. And each month, on the first of every month, we send out the newsletter that brings everybody up to date as to what's going on in the Vatican. We also provide an article of encouragement and edification for all those to be faithful to the Great Commission, especially, as you mentioned, the world's largest and most neglected mission field, and that is the Roman Catholic religion with over 1.2 billion precious souls that need to hear the gospel. I often will call your phone number, and if you're not there, there's a message that says, well, we are out winning Catholics to Jesus Christ. I love that every single time I hear it, and I start praying for you immediately. Well, as it relates to the article I just mentioned, you had in that article a report on the desktop between Donald Trump, president, and Vice President Joe Biden, both of them running in the presidential election upcoming in November. Trump seems to be questioning Joe Biden's faith. In other words, is he a believer? Is he a Christian? Biden responds with the fact that he is a Catholic. Now, the very outset of our conversation, let me just be very technical. If Joe Biden is a Catholic, and he said he's been that all of his life, would he technically be truly a born-again, Bible-believing Christian? Well, the answer to that is found in the doctrine of the Catholic Church versus the biblical doctrine of salvation. It's impossible for a Roman Catholic to be a born-again Christian unless he repents of the false gospel of the Roman Catholic religion and believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are so many differences, and Jimmy, I know you're familiar with Galatians 1, 6 to 9. Paul said, if anyone comes preaching another gospel, they are to be accursed. And the Roman Catholic religion preaches a gospel of works 
and law-keeping and sacraments, and it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, whereby people are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So Joe Biden is part of the Roman Catholic religion that upholds a different gospel, and so he's not a Christian, and I don't even believe he's a very devout Catholic because he does not do what he says he believes. And we're talking about the issue of abortion here. Yeah, I do want to get to that in just a moment. But let me first say Biden in some of his campaign literature, and we're not attacking Joe Biden. He made the statement, we just want to fact check him and see what he does really believe. Uh, but he, in his campaign literature, is talking about his relationship with the Pope. And in fact, I think he did receive communion from the Pope at one time. But because of that relationship does not necessarily mean that he's truly a believer either way, does it? Well, it really doesn't. And it's really interesting to know that Pope Francis supports Joe Biden and actually wants Joe Biden to win the presidency, even though Joe Biden, by his own admission, is not pro-life, he's pro-abortion. And that's why there was a big issue that was uh, brought up last November when Biden was refused communion by a Roman Catholic priest because of his pro-abortion stance. And so that's when Joe Biden went on to say that it doesn't matter that he was refused communion from a local priest because Pope Francis gives him communion when he goes to the Vatican to visit and so it's really interesting that the Catholic priest, the local priest, had more discernment to uphold Catholic law than Pope Francis himself. You know, there is one thing I would say about Pope Francis. The fact is he's pretty straight biblically as it relates to the abortion issue. But uh, you've just revealed to us Joe Biden is not on the right page from a biblical perspective when you start talking about abortion. Well, let's uh, take another issue that uh, we want to find out about. I know where the Pope has been talking about homosexuality, and those people could be truly born again and go to heaven. Now, that's in contradiction, I do believe, from Romans chapter 1 and what the Lord says through the Apostle Paul. But Joe Biden would probably agree with the Pope on homosexuality, the Bible contradicts both of them. This is not good for a candidate that we would like to see be the president of the United States from a Christian perspective, is it? Well, no, and that does not separate Joe Biden from President Trump since they are both pro-LBGTQ. So Pope Francis being on the same page with Joe Biden on that issue really is not a distinguishing issue as far as the upcoming election. But it really goes back to I believe, the subject of abortion, because I believe that your listeners would probably believe what I'm going to say, that there's no clear example of wickedness in the slaughter of innocent, helpless babes in a mother's womb. And those who promote the woman's right to murder their children have told us about their immoral character. We don't need to look any further, because how could anyone vote for a president who stands for such wickedness? And so I really believe that that's the, one of the major issues, if not the most critical issue. If a president would allow the murder of innocent babies in the womb, then he has no right to lead our country. And we have Donald Trump, who's the most pro-life president we've had 
in recent history. So it really comes down to if you're a born-again Christian, you must vote for someone who is pro-life and not for someone who's willing to allow babies to be murdered in a mother's womb. And even outside a mother's womb, as some believe is a possibility as it relates to the abortion issue as well. You know, you mentioned Donald Trump in not being correct, I think, biblically, as it relates to homosexuality, and I'm very much concerned about that. But I would agree with you, Mike. Abortion is the number one issue. It's murder. It's killing someone. And it's blasphemy against Almighty God. And in fact, then you can look and read Romans chapter 1, see what the Lord thinks about homosexuality. These men need to be right biblically. And it's going to be a tough decision as far as I'm concerned. I do not want to vote for anyone who would allow murder of children in the womb or outside of the womb. Uh, And I'm going to have difficulty even as it relates to homosexuality as well. So I'm praying as to what I'm going to do. I'm sure those of you eavesdropping on this conversation are going to be praying as well. We wanted, though, however, to make certain we're not pushing either candidate, Joe Biden and or Donald Trump. That's not our position here on Prophecy Today. But we do want you to know the facts and where these men who are running for president of the United States stand. Mike, thank you so very much for writing this in your newsletter. And uh, people can get a copy of that if they go to your website. As you mentioned, I'd love for them to read the article. But thank you for giving me a moment or two to chat with you about this issue here on Prophecy Today. Looking forward to another conversation down the road. Always a pleasure to be with you, Jimmy, and God bless you. Very important conversation with Mike Gendron as we talked about the desktop between President Trump and Vice President Joe Biden in their campaigning, and the president making a statement that he doubted the faith of Joe Biden. Well, we had the discussion, no use in going back through it again. You might want to send that along to someone. You can do that by going to my website, prophecytoday.com, and there you will be able to find the link that will allow you to send to a friend or a family member so they can hear that very important conversation. Well, here's another important conversation we're going to have. My broadcast partner is going to be Ron Murrow. He is an economic analyst. He has been doing this for 30, 40 years. He is very talented in that area. Uh, So therefore, I go to him when I have a question as it relates to the economic situation in our world today. And basically, Ron, I brought you to the broadcast table because of an email we received from one of our listeners. It said this, let me read it. Dear Dr. DeYoung, first, thank you for all that you and your guest speakers do to bring us to the truth and the perspective of today's events. Then she asked, could you please ask one of your speakers their opinion on the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset that they want to initiate as of January 2021. thought that was a very interesting question from one of our listeners, somebody really on top of what's going on in this world. So, Ron, first of all, talk to me about who is, can you define, can you let us know who the World Economic Forum is today? 
I can, Jimmy. The World Economic Forum, or WEF, is a nonprofit foundation which meets each year in January in Davos, an elite uh, ski resort high in the Swiss Alps. Jimmy, it's attended by 3,000 business, academic, and political leaders. Past attendees include familiar names like Bill Gates, Prince Charles, Prince William, Christine Lagarde from the International Monetary Fund, and the infamous George Soros. Everyone who attends is a member of the World Economic Forum, whose stated mission is, and I quote, to be committed to improving the state of the world by engaging business, political, academic, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry agendas, unquote. Membership costs from $60,000 to $600,000, depending on the level of partnership, plus attendance to the meeting has an additional fee of $27,000 per person. Jimmy, the 2020 conference met last January was attended by Donald Trump, whose keynote speech slammed the prophets of doom on the climate crisis while lavishing praise on the U.S. economy, pre-COVID, of course. Needless to say, he ruffled a lot of globalist feathers, which is America's first message instead of a globalist approach. That's a great information, Ron. Thank you so very much for helping us to understand who our listener was talking about when she referred to the uh, World Economic Forum. Now, she also asked that uh, the World Economic Forum is going to put together what they refer to as the Great Reset. They'll do that as of January 2021. Talk to me about the Great Reset. What is that? You know, a video at the meeting uh, last January narrated by Prince Charles listed five reset goals. The first reset was the climate crisis. Prince Charles speaks to what he calls the incredible opportunity to improve our world through climate initiatives. The second was reimagine, or bold action, uh, changing our current economic leadership. Number three was rethink, calls for placing nature at the heart of how we operate. Number four, reinvent, claims that the world is on the verge of a major breakthrough in sustainable energy. And finally, revolution, calling for a paradigm shift in action at, the revolu- at a revolutionary pace. You know, the message was very clear. We cannot waste any more time, double exclamation point. Wow. Cannot waste any more time. Well, I have done a little bit of reading on this. You're the expert, Ron. But I want to ask you, could this Great Reset actually be involved in what they are referring to that it may usher in a new world order. Is that a possibility? Yeah, the Great Reset basically is the blueprint for the new world order. But right now, there are three obstacles in the way. Number one, Donald J. Trump and his America First nationalist platform and the president's assertion that America will never be a socialist nation. Number two is a lack of a global leader on the world stage who can command the respect of the 3,000 attendees, also known as the 1%. And number three, due to COVID-19, the January 25th meeting will be digital, where key global leaders will share their views on the state of the world. A full meeting will probably not happen until early summer 2021. Ron, take a moment and explain what would it mean if it does usher in a new world order? What is that all about? At at this past meeting, uh, WEF boss Klaus Schwab spoke of a community of common interest, which is little more than a revamped Marxist approach to government. It it would mean less freedom and much more government. 
The Great Reset wants to re-engineer industries, societies, economies, education, and even thinking. It calls for a new social contract centered on social justice. Talk to me, Ron, and I know you're a student of Bible prophecy. Before I ask you the next question, uh, tell people how they could go to your website find out what you're doing there on Prophecy Tracker. Thank you for, for mentioning it, Jimmy. Our website, prophecytracker.org, we've been operating for about eight years. We cover everything we can uh, on the New World Order. We cover the global economy, and we do as much work as we can on the Middle East. We have headlines coming out pretty much all day, and we try to get one to two blog posts in every day with some sort of prophecy teaching in it. Prophecytracker.org. Okay, now that sets me up for my last question with you, Ron. It seems like what we've been talking about fits into the prophetic scenario for the appearance of Antichrist and actually his economic plan for the last days. Do you agree with that? I really do, uh, Jimmy. Since, since Antichrist only has seven years, it appears that the secular global elites are building his government's infrastructure. And therefore that would make the opportunity for the Antichrist to come on the scene and uh, follow through with what the book of Revelation chapter 13 tells us about everyone in the world at the midway point of the tribulation period having to take a mark on the forehead or the back of the hand to be able to buy or sell. That indeed would be the great reset. Ron, thank you so very much. I appreciate the conversation, the insight, and very important information about these two different items we wanted to discuss today, the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. Appreciate it, my good friend. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. Great information from Ron Merle on the situation with the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. This is key to understanding the future prophetic scenario found in God's Word. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, one more broadcast partner, David James. He's standing by. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. David James standing by. We're going to have a very important discussion. Please stay tuned for that. Before we go to Dave, though, I want to give you my poll question. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and find the poll question. It will pertain to my conversation with David. Here's the question. The Parliament of Scotland is debating a law that would make parts of the Bible hate speech and preaching from the Bible also hate speech. With the atmosphere here in America today, do you believe there could be such a law in America enacted that would deem the Bible and the preaching from the Bible as hate speech? That's my poll question. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, scroll down, you'll find the poll question.
We now bring to these microphones David James. Check your clock. It's that time of the week when David and I get together for a conversation focusing on an issue that may be and probably most likely will be of great importance to the body of Christ, to each and every one of us who know Christ as our Lord and Savior. We'll take a biblical approach to the issue so we'll know how to Walk in light of what God's Word has to say on just about every topic that we cover. David, before we get to our main topic for this week, we received two prophecy-related questions from one of our listeners, one concerning the timing of Daniel's 70 weeks, and the other related to the destruction of Babylon. Now, I'm jealous, but I'm going to let you respond to these two questions. Well, we only have time to get to one of them. Maybe we can get to his second question in a future discussion. But the first one was this. He says, why does everyone believe there will be a seven-year tribulation when Daniel's 70-week prophecy clearly states that Messiah Prince will be cut off after 69 weeks in the middle of the week? This is clearly the middle of the 70th week, leaving only half a week, that is three and a half years in our future. So, Jimmy, let's think about the passage in Daniel 9. Verse 25 says, Until Messiah the Prince shall be seven and sixty-two weeks. Then in the next verse we read, And after the sixty-two weeks, meaning the end of the sixty-ninth week, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the Prince in verse 25 is the Messiah, but the Prince of verse 26 is the false Messiah, the Antichrist, who comes from the people who will destroy the city and the sanctuary, that is the Romans. And then in verse 27, he writes, Then he, that is the second prince, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. So, Jimmy, there's a gap between the 69th week, when Christ was killed, and the coming of the Antichrist, who will affirm a 70-year treaty at the beginning of the 70th week. Therefore, the middle of the tribulation isn't when Messiah was cut off, it's when the Antichrist will break the treaty, and it's on that same day that he'll declare himself to be God in the rebuilt temple. That's the abomination of desolation. And like I said, maybe we can get to his second question concerning Babylon in a future discussion. Well, I've got to say, David, I said I was jealous because I would have loved to have answered the question. But I want to tell you, you echoed exactly what I would have said, and I so appreciate it. We're on the same page on Bible prophecy. That's great. And that's a key passage of Scripture, the 70 weeks of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Dear friend, if you are listening, that's a passage you want to really study and better understand. And David just has given an explanation will help you to understand that 70th week. This week, you alerted me, David, to a bill that is being considered by the Scottish Parliament. And it has some potential of making it a hate crime to preach and to teach the Word of God or at least parts of the Word of God. Explain this, Bill. 
Well, the article I sent you was published on the WND website, which linked to the Christian Institute website. And the Christian Institute article carried the title, Atheist Intends to Criminalize Bible if Scott Hate Crime Bill is Passed. And the opening paragraph read as follows. An atheist activist has welcomed the Scottish government's controversial hate crime bill as an opportunity to report the Bible in church sermons for so-called hate speech. And the article can continued by stating that Ian Stewart, a convener of Atheist Scotland, told The Courier, Atheists saw some merit in the SNP's hate crime and public order, that's the Scotland bill, as it will enable the prosecution of all Scotland's religions and their holy books for spreading hatred. And they went on to quote this atheist as saying, we fully intend to monitor all holy books, sermons and places of worship, and the social media accounts of the various religions and report any hatred to Scotland police for criminal investigation. And then the article quoted the deputy director for public affairs at the Christian Institute, who said, if passed, the hate crime and public order bill would criminalize words deemed likely to, quote-unquote, stir up hatred against particular groups, it would not require any proof of intent. He then warned against the dangerous new stirring up of hatred offenses is saying that they will give politically motivated complainants like Mr. Stewart a powerful weapon against their ideological opponents. David, knowing the way that you do research, I'm sure that you looked into this deeper, the fact of the Scottish Parliament and what they are talking about. So what did you find, and is it a legitimate concern? Well, you're right. I've been to the Scottish Parliament website, and there are several things that need to be watched. The information is from a page on their website titled Hate Crime and Public Order, Scotland Bill Call for Views. And the introduction begins this way. The Justice Committee will scrutinize the Hate Crime and Public Order Scotland Bill in the coming months. The committee is therefore asking for views on the bill. And the article goes on to say, according to the Scottish government, this bill provides for the modernizing, consolidating, and extending of hate crime legislation in Scotland. And continuing, it says this, in its view, legislation in this area has evolved over time in a fragmented manner with the result that different elements of hate crime law are located in different statutes. There is a lack of consistency, and the relevant legislation is not user-friendly as it could be. In its opinion, the new hate crime legislation will provide greater clarity, transparency, and consistency. So, Jimmy, one particular explanation that seems to be of concern involves a section that begins with this. In addition to consolidation, the bill seeks to modernize and extend existing hate crime legislation. And then it goes on to say that existing hate crime legislation would be extended by creating new offenses relating to stirring up hatred in Part 2 of the bill, and that will apply in relation to all listed characteristics, including age, disability, religion, sexual orientation, transgender or identity, and variation in sex characteristics. So, David, as a follow-up to this impending legislation, with Great Britain and many other countries not having the kinds of First Amendment protections that we have here in the United States, are people there concerned about the possible implications of all of this? 
Well, they are, and that Christian Institute article noted last month that the Roman Catholic bishops warned that possession of a Bible even could be considered an offense under the SMP proposed hate bill. And in its submission to the Justice Committee's consultation on the bill, the Roman Catholic Bishops Conference of Scotland said that the low threshold for offense could prohibit the Bible on grounds of being classed as inflammatory material. Now, I put together a clip of Simon Calvert of the Christian Institute explaining the situation from his perspective, which our listeners can now hear. I've got no idea how many atheists this gentleman actually represents, but the truth is it only takes one politically motivated complaint, and you might well find the police paying a visit to a church to see whether the Bible is inflammatory material or whether the sermons are stirring up hatred. Because the wording of these proposed new stirring-up offences is that anything that is deemed abusive and likely to stir up hatred is caught. Now, we know that these days, cynical activists routinely accuse their ideological opponents of being abusive and hateful. Not because they are, but because it's a ploy to try to shut down the debate. So that's why this legislation is really very dangerous indeed. And we have to hope and indeed pray that members of the Scottish Parliament will ditch it. So, Jimmy, while the U.K. doesn't have exactly the same protection for freedom of speech and religion as we do in the United States, because the two are tied together in our First Amendment, this is still troubling. And we know that what happens in Europe and often in the U.K. starts moving this way. Okay, David, so let's bring this a little bit closer to home with our neighbor to the north, Canada. Hasn't this been an issue in recent years up there as well? It sure has. Back in June of 2018, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled against Trinity Western University out in British Columbia. Trinity Western was going to start an accredited law school, but the Supreme Court ruled against them because of its community covenant that prohibits having sex outside a monogamous uh, heterosexual marriage and also deals with issues such as gossip, obscene language, lying and drunkenness and other things. So unless the university changes its covenant, graduates would be disqualified from mandatory law society accreditation. And the executive director of that proposed law school said, the Supreme Court does not see room in Canada for a small Christian university that holds traditional Christian values to open a law school, and the decision impacts the contribution faith communities add to Canadian diversity. Then in 2018, uh, Quebec's National Assembly passed a law prohibiting public workers from wearing religious symbols on the job. The Ontario Court of Appeals has ruled that doctors must abort, euthanize, provide transgender interventions, or any other legal medical procedure, or find a doctor who will, even if the doctor considers it an egregious sin. And then in 2019, a pastor was arrested in Toronto for street preaching in a largely LGBT community, even though he didn't single out homosexuality, and one of the things he said was Jesus died for the sinner. Every heterosexual has sin. Every homosexual has sin. Sin is when we violate the laws of God. And a mob formed, and he was assaulted, but when the police arrived, it was the pastor who was blamed and arrested for disturbing the peace. Boy, that is very shocking information that you have just given us. Well, David, it leaves me with a couple of questions to ask before we close out our conversation. Number one, do you see the possibility of something like this coming to the United States? And then number two, if it does, 
How do we as believers respond? Well, Jimmy, when we were discussing the government mandates related to COVID-19 a few weeks ago, it was obvious that some of our listeners were concerned that this is exactly what's already happening here in this country. And as I've watched this develop since January, there's definitely been movement in thinking about this among believers. You know, initially, almost everyone was willing to be tolerant, at least temporarily, although some were defiant from the beginning. But now that we're over eight months into this, I'm seeing more and more believers saying enough is enough. And with the CDC's report this week that only 6% of reported COVID-19 deaths uh, had no uh, other comorbidity or high-risk factors, more are agreeing with what John MacArthur said this week, and he made the statement, we've been played. In today's political, social, and religious climate in America, I think it's just a matter of time before more and more of what we would hold as biblical teaching is going to end up being challenged, including in the courts. And I think there will be hard lines crossed if and when we're told we cannot preach or teach certain passages from Scripture or incorporate biblical principles into our doctrinal statements or business practices. If that happens, then we'll have no choice but to take a stand, even if it means arrest, conviction, and jail time. When it comes to that, Jimmy, our greater allegiance is to the Lord and His Word. Absolutely. Amen to that. And we do, as we think through what you've just told us on this conversation today, do look towards the time of the rapture because this is setting the stage for that to happen. The world is going to get worse and worse, not better and better. Thank you, David, for all of your research. Appreciate it so very much. Great information. Thanks for the warning to the body of Christ. And we look forward to another conversation, another issue next week. Always thank you for that opportunity, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, all the broadcast partners had information to bring to the table. I'll take it, open the Bible, take a look at the book, and see how close we are to that rapture. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. 
I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, you heard details behind the headlines in our world. These reports will not be heard from the mainstream media. In fact, you heard reports on news stories not heard any place else except here on Prophecy Today. That's the advantage that we have with our broadcast partners scattered across the world. I'm so grateful to these guys and their insight. This is actually the main purpose for this program. And by the way, if you missed any of my broadcast partners' reports, go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you can listen to any and all of the reports from today's broadcast. Please, by the way, tell a friend or a family member about these reports, and maybe you can interest them in understanding the prophetic scenario found in the Word of God as is being played out, and evidence to that statement is what my broadcast partners reported on today. If you'll allow me now, I'm going to give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Timmerman came to the broadcast table. He covers geopolitical activities for us, and he talked about Jared Kushner, son-in-law to President Trump, saying that 100% of the 22 Arab states will follow the lead of the United Arab Emirates for peace with Israel. I want to tell you this, my dear friend. I hope Jared Kushner is correct. If all 22 Arab states follow the example of the UAE, that would set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I'm speaking of Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, where it says that the Antichrist will confirm, he'll not sign, but confirm the peace treaties on the table. And ultimately, peace between the Arabs and the Jewish state of Israel will fall apart. That then brings Daniel 9.27 into play. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update, which is essential for us who study Bible prophecy. And David talked about the historic flight to the UAE and that flight going over Saudi Arabian airspace. You know, Israel and the UAE have agreed to a peace agreement, the very first one in 26 years. This one followed the one between Jordan and Israel back in 1994. There is more to come. The prime minister said secret talks are going on now between the Jewish state of Israel and the 22 Arab states. You know, this is, again, tangible evidence to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. It's not moving away from it. 
But as I said, Daniel 9.27, much better in focus today than it was just a week ago. And then we had John Rood, who covers another major region of the world, the European Union. And he talked about the French President Macron visiting Iraq. This war-torn country is trying to build once again a major nation as they were early in the 20th century. Macron is a big player in the European Union. However, this was his first visit to Iraq. Remember, the European Union, I do believe, is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire on the prophetic scenario found in God's Word in Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and then verses 23 and 24. And you cannot forget that Iraq is biblical Babylon. And they're talked about in Revelation chapter 18. The scenario played out when the Antichrist will control the economies of the world, everybody having to have the mark of the beast in order to be able to buy or sell. Mike Gendron, a broadcast partner that is always available when we need to talk about the largest mission fill in the world, the members of the Catholic Church, over one billion members of this false church. The conversation this time was about Joe Biden's faith, and technically, Joe is not a Christian. According to his own statement, he said he is a Catholic, and Mike helped us to understand a true Catholic cannot be a born-again believer. Also, we talked about Joe Biden's stand on abortion and homosexuality. You know, as you look at the person, you must also look at the party and the party platform for whatever candidate you may be voting for. God's word is absolute on the issue of abortion. That's Psalm 139 and Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. God's word is also right on target as it relates to sodomy, or maybe you refer to it as homosexuality. The passage on that, the book of Romans chapter 1. Ron Murrell, who is our man who covers the economic world, talked about the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. The World Economic Forum, a one-world government movement. The Great Reset, setting up for a one-world economy. And that's Revelation 18, again, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, in order to be able to buy or sell. And David James and I talked about the law to proclaim the Bible and preaching from the Bible as hate speech. Well, that's what we talked about. You know, if that law is passed, we must resist the law of this nation and not follow that law. We should do just like Peter and John did in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. When they were told not to preach the word, Peter said, we cannot but help to speak the truths of God's word. In other words, they became spiritual can't-help-its. And I do believe that's what we will have to do should there be a law passed and proclaim the Bible and preaching from the Bible as hate speech. All of these reports give evidence to the prophetic scenario that is found in God's word, which is about to be fulfilled. Remember, the banner over my website said that we would look at current events in light of the prophetic Word of God. Well, that's what we've done today, 
And we see that we are at the point of these prophecies being fulfilled. You know what that means? The next event, the rapture, is closer than it has ever been. In fact, it could even happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.